Take your Ruth booklets. Go to Ruth chapter three. I have just a few comments I wanna make on the back end of this chapter. I have a story that you're gonna hear. You're gonna hear from someone, a special guest this morning in a moment. Ruth chapter three. Rob picked it up last week. I hope you'll go back and listen to his message because Rob said when he got that message, he thought, oh my gosh, I got the short end of the stick because it's a weird passage. It's odd, it's oblique. There's stuff we can't be dogmatic on. But the story has gone from famine and death to bountiful harvest and food. And we get to this passage and there's this late night rendezvous and Ruth gets dressed up, takes bath, showers, puts on perfume, literally goes, lays at the man's feet. We're going, what is going on here? Please go back and get that because that's the context for the message today where we'll finish chapter three. And Rob did an amazing job of showing us that far from being some late night seduction, uh, what this is, what Ruth does literally is a faith filled marriage proposal. Will you marry me, Boaz? That's where the story ended last week. We're gonna pick it up today and what we're gonna see in Boaz's response and all that's happening in this story is how God infuses us with faith and how that faith moves us to take steps of faith, like joining a group of young families as Charlie and Patty did to plant a church when there was no one around them, even their age, but they gave themselves to so many of us. So I wanna pick it up actually in in chapter three, verse eight, just for context. So if you've got your Bible or your booklet, let's look at this. Chapter three, verse eight gets us into our story At midnight, the man was startled and turned over and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? She answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant for you are a redeemer. Now we've got (laughs) redeem me, marry me. We stopped last week and Ruth and Naomi's whole future. I mean, it all rests on what is Boaz going to say? That's the tension in the story. Now I'm gonna take it just two verses at a time I'm gonna hit a few principles that we're gonna talk about what this looks like in our own lives. Let's pick it up at verse 10. Everything's hanging on his next words. And here's what he says, verse 10. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. Now, if we've got any questions, and by the way, some commentaries will say that what Naomi did was so wrong off the reservation. She was being seductive. They tried to seduce Boaz to do this with uh, Ruth. And, And I don't believe that's true at all. And quite frankly, one of the reasons I would be quite dogmatic on it is Boaz's response. What does the main character tell us? He tells us what Ruth has just done is, is, an, is a worthy woman, has just done a noble act and, and her kindness to him in not going after rich or poor younger, meaning Boaz is older, is greater than her first kindness. 
What was her first kindness? Her first kindness was her commitment to Naomi in the face of nothingness. I'm, gonna, I'm choosing your God to be my God unto death. Not, not because of the future you'll give me, but because he's God and I'm choosing him. That was her first act of kindness. And then the second act of kindness is, Boaz, will you, not the younger, rich, or poor, but you, Boaz, redeem me. By the way, that word kindness, it's not gonna shock you, is the word hesed. It's God's steadfast covenant love, his unceasing kindness. We've talked about it as perhaps the most important word in the Old Testament. And I want you to note here, just a, a note of application. God's hesed to us, his unceasing kindness, with New Testament we say his grace, his steadfast love and covenant faithfulness to us. God's hesed is passed along to others through people. That's the point I wanna make. You receive God's hesed, then that hesed is passed along through others. That'll be huge when we talk about the application of this text. God's hesed flows through God's people. Pick up verse 12 and 13. Story continues, and now it's true, Boaz says, that I am a redeemer, yet there's a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight, and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he will not, if he's not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, this is a pledge or a promise. It's like saying, if the Lord dies, then I'm not gonna do it. This is how certain I'm going to redeem you. As the Lord lives and the Lord never dies, I will redeem you. Lie down until morning. Don't forget, y'all, this is a story. It's a, it is a piece of literature. It's inspired. We believe it's the word of God, but it's a story. And as you read the story, if, if, I think if you just kind of read it normally, you're reading along and it's like, this is great. And when it says there's another redeemer, honestly, I go, no way. You know, you, you know, the readers are like, no, no. And Boaz says, look, if he'll redeem you, it's good. We're going, no, that's not good. It's you, Boaz. And so we feel, feel, feel that tension that things suddenly are derailed. Everything's going great and suddenly things are derailed. And I've got two really corollary things I want us to connect with this, that, you know, Naomi and Ruth have made these plans. Um, the plans are going as planned. And then the plans are not going as planned. And I want to say these two things this way. First thing to think about when hope is birthed and you take steps of faith, the first would be unanticipated problems don't mean you missed God, but that God's plans are bigger than your own. You see, the, the, the life of faith, you all, is not that we take steps of faith and it all works out. It's we take steps of faith and, and faith will run into resistance and obstacles. And it doesn't mean, oh my gosh, I missed God. I, I, I made the wrong decision. No, no, it means this. It means what, what, you, what you planned, God's plan's bigger than your plan. And, and there's no obstacle. And we sang the song, God will never fail. Now, I'm not saying that we don't meet failures and hardships, but ultimately we sang the song, God, God doesn't fail. And trust me, the biggest step of faith many of us take is not the first one. Like, oh, do I marry this person? Uh, do I take that job? Do we move? Where do we put our kids? It's this big step of faith. And we take the step of faith and we think, oh, it's over. No, no, no. We take steps of faith. And the bigger step of faith is to remain faithful when God says, 
remain. When God says, uh, okay, you took it, but now wait. It's like, wait, no, no, we're on the road. Let's no, no, no. It's to wait. That's, that's perhaps the bigger step of faith. Unanticipated problems don't mean you missed God, but that God's plans are bigger than your own. There's a second, and I'll just touch on this briefly. I could say so much about Boaz, but here's something we certainly see. We see that faith is doing the right thing regardless the cost. I'm not Boaz. I don't even come close to this man. And I know it because I would have never told her about the other guy. This, like, I just go, I, I am, and I'm, I'm not even being facetious in this sense. I definitely can find myself cutting corners. Hey, it's mine anyways, even if I get it this way. You know, I just can do that. My wife is not black and white, but I'm just like, I'm gonna fudge the rules. And I don't know, have anyone in mind other than myself when I say this, but if you're ever on the verge of compromise or scheming to get what, even if it's rightfully yours, even then, okay, even then, are you willing to choose the right path to get there versus a side road to get there? 14 and 15, so she lay at his feet until morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. We think, by the way, that he said that to himself, not to others. He's just recognizing, I wanna protect, you know, watch, watch her reputation. So no one would know that she came to the threshing floor. And then he said uh, to her, bring the garment you're wearing and hold it out. So she held it and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. You know, he is the redeemer. We've talked about this already. Um, what does the redeemer do? We note the two things he does here. He protects. In other words, I want you to leave in the dark. I don't want people to know you're here for her own reputation. But then the redeemer also provides. And he, he provides this abundance of, of barley. Of wheat. It's a, probably a shawl that she was wearing that she held out. It's gotta be big enough to hold this stuff. And by the way, if it was an ephah, which was what she got on that first day when she, she gleaned it, if it was an ephah, it'd be 250 pounds. She couldn't do it. But we think it's a sia, which would be a third of an ephah, which is probably 80 to 100 pounds. We know it's not just a bag she could hold because the text says that he set it on her. If you've ever been to Africa or other places and you see women carrying water, that's 100 pounds, they just put it right on their head or big stacks of wood in places some of us have been. So this is, it's, it's a massive provision. And quite frankly, I'm gonna get ahead of myself to say this. It is in a sense, Boaz's pledge that where this came from, there's more. So she's taken back in abundance, but it's not even a pittance of all that is his that he's saying is going to be yours, which makes me think of the Holy Spirit who's a pledge to us when we put our trust in Christ, the Spirit indwells. It's a pledge that all of it, all of it, is to come. And then let's finish it, 16 to 18. This little scene unfolds and finishes. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? And she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. And she replied, wait, there it is again, remain, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest but we'll settle the matter today. Just one thing I want to grab here as this little scene wraps up. You know, if you've read the story, and I hope you have, you know, if you've read the story and you know the story, then when she comes back and, and informs us that Boaz actually had some words, not just barley to give her, 
the words are very important. And the words are, he told me, I can't come back to you empty handed, which the writer would, would want the reader to go empty. And boom, we're all the way back to chapter one, verse 12. Naomi returns from Moab and they say, here's Naomi. And she goes, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant, but call me bitter. Why? Because I went away full and I've come back empty. Oh, and now Boaz sends this back and says, you tell her. But I said, you can't go back empty handed. Same Hebrew word. And this is again, reading it in terms of its literary structure. We go, oh, the emptiness she felt is being filled. The resolution is coming. I want to pull back above the story and, and you know, step back above chapter three. All this is kind of beginning to resolve. And I want to remind us of the thread that goes from beginning to end. And it's the thread of God's providence his most holy, wise, and powerful preserving and governing of all his creatures and all their actions. This is the Westminster Shorter Catechism statement of what is providence. And we, we get a little more in our modern times, which I think you can't do better than that, but only to get in our own vernacular, it's a reminder that God's works of providence are, it's the works by which God shows he's in control. And when we read this story, there's just these little hints. You know we've seen them. They return and they land back in Bethlehem right at the beginning of the barley harvest. And then and then, and Ruth says, I'm gonna go in a field in this fenceless, unmarked field. And it says, and she just so happened to be in the field of Boaz. And it just so happened that Boaz shows up at that same moment. You know, there's just these hints in the story that say, ooh, there's an invisible hand that is pulling this story along. And it's the invisible hand of God's works of providence. God's providence, I'm gonna say this twice. It is a mystery beyond our grasp. You're not, we're not, I, can't, I can't explain it to you. I can't, you, you'll never understand it fully. It's a mystery beyond our grasp. Oh, but it is also a truth that we can come to trust. We can trust it. That's the point. Yes, mystery beyond, I can't get everything to fit, but what about? It's not about that. It's about what God has revealed in his word, which is enough for us to trust it. Many, many years ago, um, there was a study done, and it's just super common, I mean, that people know of this study, where they, sociologists, they, 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 they took two playgrounds, and one playground had no fence around it, one playground had a fence around it. The one with no fence around it, they, they, I don't know if there were streets to this around it or whatever, but there was no fence, it was just an open playground. And they put children there with their teachers, and what they found was when they put the teacher in the middle with the, to with the play things around them, that if, if a toy or seesaw was right next to them, the kids stayed right there, but if the slide was over there, or if there was an open field over there where they could run and play kick a ball, they wouldn't go, and the kids just huddled around the teacher right here in the midst of this big playground, but was open. They took another playground. They put a fence around it and, and, and watched the kids again, put the teacher in the middle. Where do the kids go? And the kids explored every corner, every edge of the playground. They went all over, i.e., with the security of the fence, they, they were free to just cut loose and go over the entire 
playground. What I want to suggest is that when you and I trust God's providence, the world's our playground. We will go anywhere. We will do anything. I mean, we will go all over them. We will go anywhere he calls us because we trust his providence that he's in control and ordering our way, which brings me to two principles I'll give you. I'll put these on the screen. They're very interrelated. It's simply this. Confidence in God's providence compels you to love at great cost. See, when you're confident in God's providence, you will love at great cost. Remember, Boaz said, your hesed to me now is greater than your first hesed. This is all about hesed. This is all about covenant love. Your, your, your love to me. When you read the story, I would say it like this, this chapter in particular, it's a picture of three people trying to out-hesed one another. Naomi, Ruth, I'll seek your rest. Ruth, I'm for you, Naomi. Boaz, I'm for, they're gonna out-love one another. Which brings me to a second corollary truth, and you can't separate these two. And I would say it like this, our fullest life is living to make others whole. Jesus said, I came that they might have life and might have it abundantly. We're gonna get to all this in John when we're studying through it in the coming year. Listen, when he said he came to have life abundantly, I promise you it's not that he gives you your bucket list. No, he came that they have life such that, that we in Christ would live in such a way to make others whole. And as we live to make others whole, we're whole. We experience the abundance of God. You see that? When we're trusting and resting in the providence of God, oh my, we will be running all over the playground for the kingdom. There's a woman that you and I know, some of us, some of us don't, who exemplifies this. I've known her for 20 years. Her name is Rosemary Hamadi. I've got a picture here of her and her family. Rosemary's a single mom. She's raised four beautiful girls who are now all married. She has four grandchildren and one on the way. And I'm telling you, in the years I've known her, there has been no place that she's not willing to go and nothing she won't do to make others whole. And you'll get a little glimpse of it. I just want you to catch this. This off her website for peace, which is her ministry now, tells a little bit of her story. My name is Rosemary Hamati. I'm the founder and director of Peace International. In February 2014, I decided to make a trip to northern Uganda on my own. I'd never been there, but I thought it was important for me to go. When I reached there and I was taken to the refugee camp, the first thing I heard were voices calling my name. Because I realized there are people who knew me and they came looking so expectant. They thought I'd brought things for them, but I had nothing. And I told them I'd just come the way I was. I knew they had run away from home. They had nothing on them. 
because they were sleeping outside, they didn't have anywhere to sleep. But just looking at the children running around, I feared that LRA would pick them up and take them into to being war children. And that is what pushed me so much to say, if we can't do anything else, let's have a school for the children. In 2013, we didn't even have money, but I had this faith that even if I didn't have money and God knew their needs, he would raise men and women to come alongside me that we could do something for those children in Ajumani. Within less than one year, the two classrooms were completed and the first crop of children from the preschool are now in grade one. We are at Olua One refugee camp where the school we have built for the children in the refugee camp are. These are some of the children very excited to see the camera. And they can say camera, let's say camera. 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 We say it louder, camera. camera. The fighting in South Sudan is because of lack of education. But we believe that if we brought children in to learn, to be educated, and more so to teach them about Christ, they will learn about God's love. They will learn about loving their neighbor. They will grow up differently. Are you happy? In another 15 to 20 years, we will have a new crop of children for South Sudan that can go back and develop their nation, not just governing, not just politics, but to bring out a godly nation. Now, I want you to imagine the, the children that were dedicated up here if we were dedicating them, but there were no school. See, that's what that is. That's where she drove into. And it, I, I would love to have a conversation with Rosemary to talk about providence and faith. And the good news is I did have a conversation with her. She was in town last week. We were able to have her at Brentwood. She obviously can't stay here that long, and so she's gone. But I've got a clip I want to show you because this is me talking to Rosemary and just picking her brain on this life of faith that she has lived that's extraordinary, and yet it's normal. It's what faith looks like. Let's listen in on this conversation. Um, I, I wanted Rosemary to tell us a little bit about kind of her own journey. We don't, we're not going to go through the whole journey, but, but Rosemary, I want you to, to talk, um, just start with having known her for over 20 years now, um, we look at what she's doing in Ajumani, and I'm going to get there, okay, to what that is. But let me tell you, the path from where she started to Ajumani is riddled with challenges and weights and all of those things. I want you to go back to uh, when you went through your divorce, when, when you've got four little girls, a mm -hmm. single mom, four girls, and she chooses to invest with a ministry called World Relief at the time, which is, which is critical relief in places in South Sudan. Mm -hmm. How, what was God doing in your life that, that prompted you to make that choice? I believe that God 
was taking away what I held on so hard that I thought was precious, he took it away one by one. Mm. And I knew he was dealing with me to remind me of who he is. So all the things I held on to and cherished that didn't please him, he actually took them away, including my husband. I remained with these four daughters and I didn't know what to do with them. But all along we had been praying that whatever happens, God help us to finish well. And how do I finish well? I don't have anything. But God, I tell people, but God, mm. God is the ultimate. He raised men and women, he saints, to just surround us. Mm. And some of you would come and ask me, how can we help? What can we do for you? In my heart, I know that was God's providence through his own people. Mm -hmm. We may never have seen God stand before us and say, I am here, tell me what you want. But he spoke through many of you. You prayed, you gave, and there the girls are with their husbands. I didn't even know because every people, every now and then people told me, because you are divorced, your children might never get married. But I told them in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, my children will get married and they'll be very happy and they will, I will have grandkids. <laughs> God, God has done it. So you may be here feeling, oh, I'm a single mom, maybe feeling outcast, but God, mm -hmm. just remember, but God, he is there for you. Mm -hmm. He has prepared a way for you. You won't see it now but just walk. I chose to walk towards God. Mm -hmm. I chose to walk towards him. It's only walking towards him that I met him. Mm -hmm. And through that pain, I realized I was not the only one going through pain. Mm -hmm. Many of us go through pain. And when I found myself working for world relief, for people who are so hurting for so many years, maybe longer than I did, what was God telling me? Minister to them. He prepared me by taking me through that pain, through that face that I would help somebody else. I believe that pain is not for nothing. Mm -hmm. It's costly, but it is one of the best things. Mm -hmm. that you can, it's such a treasure mm -hmm. because you can only give what you have. I have gone through this pain. When I'm telling people in Ajumani or in <laughs> South Sudan, God is able. I'm a testimony. Mm -hmm. Well, you went to work at World Relief. Um, you left there and you've done a number of things along the way mm -hmm. to what we just saw in, in, in Ajumani. Mm -hmm. um, I want you to talk about some of the some of the losses along the way. Like in our story, you know, we go, oh my gosh, there's an obstacle. How are we going to get through that? Well, this is, you know, Anjumani's not her first rodeo. She has, she's planted and done work, you all, that would blow your mind. I mean, really, it's like, wow, how does one person do that? But along the way, there have been tremendous losses mm -hmm. as well. Speak to that and some of the, 
disappointments, quite frankly, that you've yeah. had along the way? At World Relief, I had to leave because I was told my position was no longer needed. I didn't know where to go next. But along the way, God opened another way. I was asked to start another organization in South Sudan, which I did, and I worked for about seven years. I was again asked to leave when I had invested so much. I think those two were my biggest losses. Mm -hmm. I felt so down that I've done so much for so many years. I've put in so much, invested, but here I go. I don't know how it will end up. I moved on and still wondering, am I doing the right thing? Is God happy really with what I'm doing? Did, does he want me to do it differently? Where am I going wrong that I start this, then it collapses like that, like that. Can I say this? Mm -hmm. I, I love hearing that because you're human after all, yes. you know? <laughs> you have clay feet, yeah. just like all of us. Yes. I know you do. <laughs> So it was hard, but I was not going to force myself to stay, so I moved on. And when I moved on, there was another project in another area, which was now after I registered my own organization, and we built classrooms. I think there were three classrooms. I personally went there and registered the children to start school in two months, Three days after I left to go back home, getting school supplies ready to send, someone calls me on phone from South Sudan and says, Rosemary, there is a lot of fighting in South Sudan. People are killing each other. Mm -hmm. There are dead bodies everywhere. You can't even step on the ground in the town of Juba. So I just told myself, okay, let me wait and see what is happening. And after a few days, I kept calling someone who was there and they had all run away and the school had been taken over by the army. When army takes over, you can't go there. It becomes their home. So I knew we would never recover. So we lost everything again. And that is when I made this trip to Northern Uganda with nothing. I had nothing, but I believed that God who is moving me from this point to another point is faithful. He's done it in the past. He's still the same God who will do it. I don't know for how long, but I took that step of faith and said, I will go. And that's when I met some kids who know me. And I was like, yeah, here you are. We will keep going. And it's been tremendous, mm. God's providence. Mm -hmm. I have seen it in my life, in my work, in people's lives, the people we serve, they've seen it. Uh, tell us a little bit about what's, what's happening in Ajumani right now, what yes. you're doing and how God mm. is at work there. Uh, like you saw in the video, we had only two classrooms. After you gave us money, we built only two. That was in 2014, 2015. And we had no desks. There was nothing. Children came and they were running with little stones to sit on. Others brought their mats. They were so excited that they can sit in a classroom and learn. And for three years, we didn't know what else to do. 
So when they graduated from kindergarten, we would send them to neighboring schools, which are like four miles away from where they lived. But God, God's providence has proved that he's still the same God who provides. Mm -hmm. We now have eight classrooms, fully equipped. We are doing the 10th, the 9th and 10th classrooms. And we have 686 children in the school. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, with 19 teachers, and uh, you know, a, a staff of 30. I never saw this coming, but God mm -hmm. had prepared the way and he has done it. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't want you to miss this. That what she was talking about there at the end you know, at the end, so to speak, 686 kids, nine classrooms, 19 teachers, wow. But, but did you remember what she said, how that all started? A lot of disappointment, loss, whatever. She was at a point and she said, I went to Ajimani with nothing. And she said, I just, I, I, I trusted God to take me to the next point. So she went to Ajimaji with nothing. It's it was this step. It was just that step that led to that that will lead to who knows where. Do you see what I'm saying? As an exhortation to us, I want you to think about that. It's not that you go and, and do some visible thing that's amazing. It's what's that step? Because you trust God's in control. And then the other step's God will show in his time and way. I want you to consider this. I'm gonna ask you to stand. I'm gonna send you out with a benediction, but I'm gonna have you think about something before I send you. I've got three things on the screen I'm gonna put up, an invitation to life. And I don't know what the spirit may be calling you to do, what he's calling you to trust him for. But here's three questions that may unlock that for you or at least move you off the dime. What part of the playground is God inviting you to explore. I don't, I don't know what that is for you. Perhaps you hear that and you think, I've been thinking about and I'm going to. Or who is God calling you to love at great cost? I don't, I mean, this is the life God's called us to, to love at great cost. What might that step look like for you? And finally, how might God be leading you to live a life, to live to make others whole? Again, trust the spirit in you. Trust the spirit to lead. I want you to think about that. You might ponder that even as we walk out of these doors in a moment. Trusting God's providence compels us to love at great cost. Compels us to live our lives to make others whole. I mentioned earlier that God's hesed is contagious. When Naomi was battling her grief, it was, you know, Naomi's bitter battling grief. And it's like Ruth's hesed to her moved her forward and got Naomi to the place 
where she's gonna demonstrate hesed to Ruth to work toward her rest. See, it's contagious. We pass it along. When we experience the hesed of God through the gospel, through our faith in Christ, we then pass that along. And so I'm gonna send you out of these doors in a moment and I'll send you as we always do with a reminder to not miss who God puts in your path this week in his providence that you might demonstrate the hesed of God to them. Amen and God bless.